my name is Bob Hurt, and welcome to the Baseball Doesn't Fall, Far From the Tree podcast. For me, our guest conjures up what it's like growing up in the 60s and 70s. I mean, it was a wonderful time to have a childhood, a time where skin knees were expected and your mom became suspicious when you came home in dry clothes. The mode of transportation was your bicycle. And if you wanted to be cool, you attached a baseball card to the spokes of its wheels with a clothespin. Five cents bought you a wax pack of Topps baseball cards. And we all hoped for a Mickey Mantle or a Willie Mays. But a 1966 Tommy John card in his White Sox uniform wasn't too bad either. I can remember going to Verba's newspaper store after church where my dad would buy the Daily News and the Star-Ledger. And then he'd give my brother and I each a pack of baseball cards. I would trade my stick of pink stale bubblegum to my brother for the five cards in his pack. So you can only imagine what a thrill it was for this 65-year-old to talk with Tommy John. In a way, I was like 10 years old again and one of my Topps baseball cards was able to come alive. Tommy John pitched for 26 years in the major leagues for the Chicago White Sox, the Los Angeles Dodgers, New York Yankees, California Angels, and Oakland Athletics. This man had a surgery named after him. It became known as the Tommy John surgery. During his career, Tommy had a record of 288 wins and 231 losses with a 3.34 earn run average. Arguably, his four best seasons came after the surgery between 1977 and 1980. He won 20 games three times. In baseball history, only seven other pitchers started more games than Tommy. He had 162 complete games in his career, and 91 of them also came after his surgery. He ranked seventh in the most career victories by a left-handed pitcher. 164 came after his surgery. No wonder his nickname was the Bionic Man. All right, Tom, the first question I wanted to ask you is from the beginning is uh, who influenced you or taught you about baseball? Who's the person that got you started in the game of baseball when you were a kid? My dad. Did he, uh, I mean, was it just like playing uh, playing catch or did he coach you? Or? Yeah, we, I, I started playing in the leagues at eight years of eight, nine. Little 10, 11, 12, Vapor Ridge League 13, 14, 15, American Legion Ball 16, 17, and then I graduated high school and signed. Okay. Now, um, so you signed out of high school. What was your high school career like? Must have been good, right? Well, I mean, yeah, I only lost two games in four years. Wow. And the same beat me. The, the same school beat me. Real, real. How many how many games? Because you were you're from Indiana, right? Yeah, uh, I don't know. I was like, uh, I think they totaled it up, and I want to say my four year career was like twenty five and two. Wow. <laughs> now, were you like, um, were you all state or get anything like that, or did they do that back then, or when you were in high school? They did, 
They didn't have that in baseball, only in basketball and football. Oh, okay. And uh, American Legion was after Babe Ruth League you played, so would you play in the summer after high school? or? Yeah, yeah in the summer, um, we had a coach uh, that, I don't know, we, we played 40, 50 games in the summer. We were playing almost every day. Wow. Uh, two games on uh, Saturday, two games on Sunday. Uh, I mean, American Legion ball, we played a lot of baseball. Oh, yeah. I mean, you know, I played American Legion out here in, uh, in New Jersey. Now, now you must have also, uh, played another position too, right? I played first base. Yeah, that's what I figured out. How, how often did you, uh, pitch, do you think? Once a week. Once a week, and then you played first base the other, the other yeah. times. I yeah, see. if we, you know, I, I didn't pitch every game. Right. Uh, one, my dad wouldn't let me, and uh, the baseball coach on the Legion team wouldn't let me. You know, I mean, I pitched when it was my turn. Right. Well, th that's definitely good because, uh, I mean, you, sometimes you get those coaches that, uh, you know, abuse kids that are pitching. They try to, you know, they have somebody good and they're going to use – Overuse them, you know. Well, that's this day and age. Back then, they thought more of the player than they did uh, winning. Oh, really? Okay. And and wow. Now, um, I was going to ask you also, who was the scout that signed you, uh, and how did he find out about you? You know, it's funny. My dad. Uh, my dad sent letters to every major league team telling them me and what I could do and all this. And, um, you know, and, uh, and the Cleveland Indians sent a scout down. His name was John Schulte, S-C-H-U-L-T-E. And he watched me pitch. I don't know how many games, but after I uh, graduated high school, he said, if it was up to me, I'd sign you right now, but uh, I can't with the money that you're going to be wanting. Right. And, you know, he said, so I've got to send you uh, up to Cleveland and have you work out for my bosses. Working out in Cleveland, they had another set of scouts uh, down in Mobile, Alabama, Signing Tommy Agee. Oh, and you, you know, it's funny. I was going to ask you about Tommy Agee because you guys, I mean, you were teammates with Cleveland and the White Sox and, and you played in yeah. the minors. And now, did you have a big signing bonus where you had to stay on with the, uh, the major league team? Did you fall in that or? Oh, yeah. oh okay. Uh, I, I don't know if they had that back then, but I only got 40000 Oh, okay. Yeah, because I, I could never understand that deal. You know, the, I mean, it seemed that, I mean, it definitely hurt the, uh, the growth of the player by, you know, making them stay on the, the major league roster for a couple of years and they hard, and they hardly played. I mean, very, I mean, like, uh, I think one of the exceptions might have been Harmon Killebrew. I know that, uh, he was a, uh, a bonus baby and, you know, you know, he did well. But most of the time they were, you know, just or sitting in the bullpen. That was, you know, 
It always seemed ridiculous to me. But anyway, I wanted to talk to you about Tommy Agee because I'm from New Jersey and I saw my share of Met games. And I know uh, I knew Tommy came over from the White Sox. But as I was looking at your your record on uh, baseball reference, you know, and, and I saw you played, you know, you played with the Indians, but you also played uh, you played minor league ball with Tommy. So you guys, you guys kind of grew up together in the, in your start of your career. You, you got that right. We, we were, we rode buses and we did everything. Yeah. yeah. He was one of my friends that they. Now, when, when you saw him play, I mean, did you, you think, you know, he's, he's going to be something in the majors? I mean, did you get that kind of indication or? Well, you always hoped he would be, but yeah. uh, you never really know. That's and true. Anything can happen. You're right. Yeah. We really thought about it that much, or at least I didn't think yeah. about it that much. Yeah. And as I was looking at the Cleveland staff, and I picked a couple names out of pitchers, I mean, you you were around a couple uh, uh, pretty decent pitchers there. You had Mudcat Grant and Gary yeah. Bell. And I saw that you also played with Early Wynn, I, I guess, at the end of his career. Yeah. Early was, um, he was our pitching coach in 64. Oh, okay. And he was terrible. <laughs> he was? You know, I heard, I, I talked to somebody else, you probably don't know him, this guy, uh, Gary Kroll. And he told me about, uh, oh, who was it? It was a friend of, uh, you know, because he pitched for the Mets. And I can't think it was, if I could remember the guy's name, you, you would know him. But he was the pitching coach, and he was horrible. He says, where I learned about pitching, he says, my roommate for the Mets was Warren Spahn. And he says, I got, I got, I learned how to pitch from him, really. <laughs> I can't think, it was a guy to pitch for the Red Sox that was really, or, no, Harding. I think it was Cleveland. It was Mel Harding. Mel Harder, yeah, yeah. He wasn't this guy. Gary Kroll wasn't real crazy about Mel as a uh, as a pitching coach, but um, I guess he was friends with Casey, and I I think a lot of times that's how you you got your you know your job and everything. And I also saw that you another pitcher that you pitched with was Ted Abernathy. Now I'll tell you why I I found that interesting. You see. I used to throw submarine when I was a kid. I, pit, I pitched all through high school. The closest I came to major leagues, I, I went to Dream. My wife sent me to Dream Week, but um, I used to throw submarine and uh, yeah. was very successful at it. You know, submarine sidearm. But when I got to high school, they wanted me to throw over overhand, and this was like in the seventies and stuff. And uh, you know. Hurt my, I was always having a, a sore arm. I think I got to about three quarters, but, uh, what can you tell me about Ted Abernathy? Uh, we played together and, uh, you know, Abby was a, a good guy, just a good southern boy and he just made it, made it easier for us to, you know, when you laugh and, and all that. Uh, Abby was good. He, he was good at doing that. Well, that's good to hear, because I, I kind of like, uh, you know, people told me that I looked, you know, my pitching was like him, so I always followed his career. I knew him mostly when he was with Cincinnati. You know, I think he was with the Cubs and then Cincinnati uh, 
you know, I remember. And then another person that I saw on your Cleveland staff, which was a great pitcher, was uh, uh, Jim Perry, Gaylord's brother. Yes, Jim was very good, very mm -hmm. good pitcher. Well, he spent a lot of years at Cleveland before you came up, right? Wasn't he? That's where he got his yeah. start. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. And then I over to the Twins. Yeah, and then the 65 World Series with, well, did he go over with Mudcat? Because Mudcat and Jim Perry were on that 65 Twins team. He must have. Yeah. That's, that was quite a deal, getting the two of them for your pitch. You got a built-in pitching staff, right? And let's see. You know what I wanted to ask you about? Because, uh, you know, and I, I remember 1968. You know, it was known as the year of the pitcher, and you were incredible. You had a great year at 10 and 5, and your ERA was 1.98. Um, what do you think the major factor helped it become called the, the, uh, the year of the pitcher? I know I was reading, and they say like the, uh, a generous strike zone. Do you think it was that, or? No, it was, uh, guys make good, good pitches. Yeah. And, uh, you, you know, Maybe the strike zone might be a little generous, but it can't be too yeah. generous. Right. You know, yeah. Yeah, I mean, that year uh, in the American League when you were pitching for the White Sox, I mean, Yaz was the only guy to hit over 300, right? He was like 301, I think. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, that, um, that year was just, it was just pitcher, pitcher, pitcher. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. Well, yeah, you had like Denny McLean won 31 games that year. And you, you know, what's funny too is, uh, like, like I said, I did a lot of research with this, but even the all-star game that year, there were 20 strikeouts in that all-star game. That's kind of unheard of in a, in an all-star game. And, and, uh, I think the run was scored. Willie McCubbin, you know, nationally won one nothing, but the, uh, the run was scored by a double play. I mean, that, you know, I would have been, I was 11 years old in 68, and I was just getting into baseball. I think probably 64 I started uh, started following the game. But uh, how'd you like pitching against Yaz? Because, I mean, he was a lefty, you were a lefty. Uh, did he give you trouble? or? Well, if I made a bad pitch, he did. But yeah. uh, if I made good pitches, I got him out. Well, you were, you were, uh, I know you had a lot, you had a couple pitches in your repertoire, but you were a, a sinker ball pitcher, right? Didn't you use the sinker ball a lot? Sinker curve ball. Sinker curve, right. Get a lot of ground balls, right, Tommy? Yes, I did. That's, and you had a good infield too, right? I mean, your infields, you played, well, at least, uh, well, the White Sox you had. Did you have Aparicio when you were there or? At one time, yeah. Yeah, at one time and, wow. Okay, well, what about, let's talk about that White Sox staff. That, and I remember that as a kid, uh, you know, I remember that White Sox staff, like Joe Horland and, uh, Jack Fisher and Wilbur Wood and Gary Peters and Hoyt Wilhelm. I mean, um, any of those, uh, you want to comment? I'll tell you about Jack Fisher. Jack Fisher lives, you know, close to where I live. I live in, um, I live by Phillipsburg. And he's over there in Easton. I actually met Jack Fisher. He had a he had a bar there called uh, Fat Jacks. <laughs> that was what he was called. Yeah, that, <laughs> well, Fat Jack. 
Well, you know, it, it was funny. I was playing softball over in Easton, and uh, that was the watering hole we used to go to. And uh, one day we're sitting around the table, and uh, everyone's talking about the first game they ever went to. And it came to me, and I said, well, you know, the first game I ever went to was in 1965, and uh, the uh, it was at Connie Mack Stadium, and Jack Fisher pitched against Chris Short. And the guy says, yeah, he says, why don't you tell him? And I'm like, tell who? He goes, that's Jack Fisher over there. And I got to meet Jack Fisher, yeah. So that was that was pretty cool. Now, he would have been, uh, let's see, in 68, I guess – did did he come over from the Mets or he was going? Yeah, he he had pitched for the Mets before that, right? Yeah, Jack and I roomed together. Oh, did you? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Seemed like a great guy. I mean, just you know, talking to him. <laughs> yeah. But I mean, uh, the ERAs that you guys had on the Sox. I mean, I mean Gary and 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 Joe and you know, I I think then Wilbur Wood and Hoyt Hoyt Wilhelm were relieved. John Buzzard, Bruce, uh, Bruce Howard. Oh, right. And, uh, yeah, we had a good staff. Yeah. Well, actually, actually, looking at the standings, you guys were in the top three almost every year. I mean, yeah. the years you were there. I mean, you, you guys, uh, you know, you were top flight. I mean, there was like, you know, the, well, I think the Twins were probably up there and, and the Orioles. But, uh, the Orioles, the Orioles always had good. Pitching, always a good pitching. Yeah, I mean, I mean, in 1971, they have 420 game winners. I mean, that only happened, I think, one other time. You know, back around in the teens or something. Now yeah. you, now you went on to um, to the Los Angeles Dodgers, and uh, you know, I remember. Well, I remember you from the White Sox, but the Dodgers, I really remember you from, and that was another uh, heck of a pitching staff. I. I was looking at the names and I was thinking at Andy Messersmith and and Don Sutton and then you had Al Downing and Jim Brewer and Charlie Charlie Howe. Was there any of them that you want to make any yeah. comments about? Well, we had a good uh, staff. We had a good pitching coach in Red Adams. Red Adams. Why do I know Red, Red Adams? Where did he he pitched? Right. Well. Or did he? You, I. Yeah, he pitched, but you never saw him. Oh, okay. Yeah, well, that's what I mean. He was, I just, I just remember looking in the records and stuff. Yeah, he was probably way before my time. But, uh, yeah, good pitching coach. Uh, well, who'd you have as a pitching coach for the, um, the White Sox? I mean, you told me, uh, uh, we had the best I've ever had, um, was my first two years there, a guy named Ray Berries. Oh, okay. P-E-R-R-E-S, Ray Barris. He, he didn't teach me how to pitch. He just says, here's what you want to do. And, you know, he was big on uh, getting the ball out of your glove as soon as possible, getting it down and around and up and throw. Right. And he just kept up on that, kept up on that. And all of a sudden, you started do it, and when you started to do it, you started to pitch well. Yeah. You know, I, I wonder how, um, like, pitching coaches, now it seems like everybody, it's like the starters, like, throw as hard as you can for five innings, and then we'll bring in the, the next guy and the guy after him and the guy after him and stuff. I mean, didn't seem like there was a, 
a strategy as much. And, you know, when I watch these guys pitch, I don't see how you set somebody up for your, you know, your strikeout pitch. And, you know, it just seems to change a, change a bit. Well, you did some pitching coaching, didn't you, at some point? Uh, just minor league ball. Okay, but still, that's, I mean, that's where you need the good pitching, uh, pitching coaches. I mean, uh, I had a neighbor who pitched in the Atlanta Braves organization, and I thought, you know, uh, Lee Malzoni, I thought he was like, I, I thought he was going to tell me, uh, he was a big influence, and he told me that Bruce Dal Canton was, was the biggest influence on him, and he was a pitching coach in the minors. He said, I learned so much from him. That's, uh, yeah. Uh, when I was in the minor leagues, um, I took the guys out. We played golf one day. And I said, uh, what are your best pitches? And, uh, you know, fastball slider. Okay. You can play with two golf clubs. <laughs> and I said, um, okay, two golf clubs. This is what you do. And I said, now, when, when we got done, I said, did you hit every ball as hard as you could with either club? Right. No. I said, why not? Well, the, because the shot didn't call for it. I said, yeah. And when you pitch, not every pitch calls for everything being thrown as hard as you can. Right, right. Well, that was a great analogy, Tommy. That's, uh, that painted a picture for those kids, right? Well, I, I learned when, um, when you would, uh, let me visualize and that's how I learned. Right. And I just, well, if I learned that way, these other guys can learn that way. I think it works good that way. I think that's an excellent way to, uh, to approach that. Oh, I know. You know what I wanted to ask you? When you were with the Dodgers, did your paths cross with Sandy Colfax? I mean, did he come to like spring training or to the games or? No. No. I mean, our paths crossed. Yeah. But nah, he, he never came to anything like that. Oh, okay. Cause I was, I was saying, I know how he was uh, a real thinker with, uh, with pitching and stuff. And I thought maybe he would have shed some light on you, you know, about things. Did you ever talk pitching with him? I'm, you know. No. Really? Okay. No. I just, you know, it, it was funny. I thought, well, you know, you're a lefty, he's a lefty, the Dodgers, and, and I kind of made that he assumption. He threw hard. He had a big curveball. I didn't throw hard. I didn't have a big curveball. There's nothing he had that could help me. Oh, okay. All right. Well, that Claire, thanks for clarifying that. I just, I was just making an assumption and, and that was, uh, you know, incorrect. Um, let's see. I, well, we can't have the interview. We got to talk about the surgery that was named after you. Oh. Yeah. You know, it's funny, Tommy, when, when I was, when I was uh, researching your, you know, your records and all kinds of stuff, you know, and, and, uh, I listened to a lot of interviews you did and everything. And uh, it seems, of course, everybody's going to ask about the Tommy John surgery. So I won't I won't bore you with, uh, you know, or reiterate all those questions and stuff. But uh, now you had said in one interview that you heard like a noise when it happened. You knew exactly when it happened. Uh, yeah. Wow. Yeah. yeah. And, and I didn't hear a noise, but I felt 
I felt uh, a pop in my that's, arm. That's what they You're Okay, that, that's yeah. what they said. They said a pop in your arm. Yeah. Um, I also read that you were friends with Dr. Joe before, before he was your surgeon? No. Oh, well, then I he heard... Was, well, he was our team doctor, you oh, know, okay. and, and if you had any problems, you would go see him, but, you know, we became... I, I appreciated him for being a great human being. Right. And then also a good surgeon. Right. Now, I, I also had read, talking about the conversation, you want to kind of expound upon the conversation he had? Because he, he said that you could have gotten away without, without the surgery, but you would never pitch again. Yeah. Oh, yeah. He said, you really don't need the surgery. Right. And I, I don't. He said, yeah, but you won't pitch again. Right. And I said, after surgery, he said, well, <laughs> you probably won't pitch again. And um, his big thing, when, when I had the surgery, was not if I was going to come out of there and be in a 20-game winner, but my wife was pregnant with our first child. And his thing was, are, are you going to be able to take care of your family? Right. And I said, yes. He said, if you can't pitch. I said, yes. He said, good, because that's the utmost. Take care of your family first. Right. No, that was definitely... Uh Wise words there. That's, that's wisdom there. Definitely. Um, okay. Let's see. When you, um, you were 31 when that happened. So you had already pitched 11 years and had quite a nice career going on. And, uh, I, cause you know what, Tommy, I remember when this happened and, uh, <clears throat> I was thinking, you know, that's, that's awful what happened. I mean, you were like 13 and you were setting the league on fire. You were 13 and 3, 2.59, I mean, and, and then to have something like that and no one had really heard, you know, I mean, people would have dead arms and stuff, but to have something as devastating as that, that's, uh, that's incredible. Do you think because, could, I also read that you were, uh, you were quite a uh, competitor. You were, uh, a competitor by uh, nature and everything that, uh, do you think that helped you, uh, you know, I'm sure you had to do work, had a lot of work to do when uh, you were rehabilitating, right? Well, any ball player is a competitor. If yeah. You're a good ball player, because if you're not a competitor, you won't you won't succeed. Right. Yeah. Then it would be about time to switch to another career, right? If <laughs> if you're not a competitor or have that competitive nature. Um, right. Now, when this happened and you were going through. Yeah, now I'm talking a lot about this because it is interesting. I mean, yeah, I know it was interesting for you, but for someone that was a fan, um, did you, um, was, I mean, you must have had uncertainty at, at some point, right? Or did you have fear or you just were going to get it done? You know, you were going to go. Th- I knew that. What I told Dr. Joe, I said, if you do your job, I will more than do my job, which is get my arm and body ready to pitch. Wow. And he deal. I said, okay, let's do it. Wow. I mean, and one of the most, and I'll tell you, one of the amazing things, and I'm sure, I mean, it's amazing for me, but I'm sure anybody that listens to this, it's amazing, is that 
You never missed a start after that surgery. No, I did not. No. And I pitched out of the too. Now, <laughs> well, you had, I mean, arguably, you had the best, I, I would say the best four years of your career after that. I mean, what was it between, uh, what was it, the late 70s to 80? I think you had like 320 game winning seasons or, like I said, I mean, your first 11 years, you were, you were a, a better than a good, I mean, you were a very good pitcher, but I mean, after that surgery, you were like a really, really good pitcher. It's like, you know, it's like you had, it was like two people that were uh, on the mound. Well, I just, uh, I pitched on good ball clubs that scored runs, and I pitched on ball clubs that yielded the ball especially well. And, uh, you know, that's what you have to have. Right. If you got uh, a pitcher that wins. Well, that, that White Sox team, I mean, with that, that great pitching set, I mean, you had some really good ball players there, but I guess they didn't score a whole lot of runs, did they? Or, I mean, you didn't have a lot of runs to work with when you were pitching during that period. I don't enough that I could win with it. Yeah, well, that's true. I mean, you, your ERA was always, uh, was always great. I also like, and I heard on interviews you talked about about this. You played for several good managers, and uh, I was looking at all of them. The ones that piqued my interest was like Al Lopez and and Eddie Stanky, and then Walter Alston and Tommy Lasorda, and then Billy Martin and uh, G. Michael. And you also you also played for Dick Hauser, but you also played with him, didn't you? You you guys were teammates. I yeah, I played with Dick. Cleveland. Right. And he was my manager um, with the Yankees. Right. Now when for one year, and then uh, he got fired when he stood up for his third base coach, um, and he stood up to George, and George fired him. Yeah. Well, George had a reputation. You know, I remember. You know, anytime you pick up the Daily News uh, weekly, you'd see somebody was gone. Right. <laughs> I mean. Uh, that had to be, uh, but you did, you did pretty good in, uh, pitching in New York. Well, I mean, when you put up the numbers you did, I mean, I'm sure you made George pretty happy, but, but that, that's a lot of pressure playing in Yankee Stadium, wouldn't you say, or? Well, not playing in Yankee Stadium, but playing for the Yankees in New York. Right. For George Brenner. Right, right, absolutely. Now, out of those, out of those managers, uh, do you want to expound upon any of them or any other manager that you had? Uh, Al Lopez was outstanding, very good. Eddie, Lo uh, Eddie Stanky was my favorite manager, and I loved playing for him. Uh, not that he taught me anything, but you 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 kept the ball and uh, <laughs> they, they better they better hit you in the head yeah. to take the ball out of your mouth. Um, Walter Alston, uh, Walt didn't like me. Really? He didn't like me as a pitcher, and I didn't like him as a manager. Well, so it was, and Lasorda was the best. Yeah? He looked like he'd be the best. <laughs> what about Billy? Uh, and then you got Billy Martin. Billy Martin uh, was talking one spring when I was pitching for the Yankees in spring training, and my wife happened to be sitting right above them. They were down on the field, and she was in the first row. Right. 
and he leaned over and he said, how the hell does this guy win? He ain't got shit. And he was talking about you? <laughs> yeah, and he told me that, and I said, you know, how, how can I, you know, how can you pitch for him? Yeah. When he, when he thinks of you like that. Well, he was another guy that didn't understand pitching, right? Yeah, I mean, you had a lot of those guys oh, like Gene Mock and him and, you know, they just, they just didn't get it. Uh, let's see. I wanted to ask you. Oh, yeah. You know, Tommy, I mean, after, after, uh, Jim Cott got into the Hall of Fame, you got, you still, you still could get in, right? With the new things. I could. Yeah. Yeah. I could. Uh, Jim, uh, when he got in, he tipped, he sent me a text. Right. He said, he said, TJ, I'm sorry. Um, <laughs> uh, but he said that uh, you should be in the Hall of Fame before me. And I said, Kitty, you <laughs> should have been in many years ago. Go have fun. Yeah. And, you know, so maybe if the, I don't know. And yeah. My dad told me when I was uh, starting out to play ball, don't worry about things that you cannot control. Right, right. No, that's good advice. I can't. And I can't control that, so no. you know. Well, I'm hoping that I'm hoping to see uh, to see you get in there. Uh, what what team would you when they put that plaque on the wall there? What what hat would you wear? You think, or what I, what hat would you want to wear? I don't have a choice. Right? Yeah, I, I did. Yeah, the Hall of Fame, Hall of Fame de determines what hat you wear. Yeah, I did. You're right. I did see that. But if you had a choice, what? Who would you go in as? Would you go in as a Yankee, a Dodger, a White Sox, or? Probably a Yankee. Yeah. I think a lot of people, well, those four years you had, did, uh, you pitched, you had all those 20 game years. I mean, that, that probably had an influence on it. Well, fans did. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I have two more questions I want to ask you, Tommy. And, uh, you spent 26 years in the, in the major leagues, how are you spending your career? Oh yeah, you know what I wanted to tell you? I we have a mutual friend, Billy Staples. You know Billy Staples. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Phillipsburg. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, because yeah, I know you. Uh, you come up here to uh, Flynn's on the Hill and uh, for his scholarship, I think I got to get to one of those. Oh, I used to. Yeah. I oh, used to. Okay, but um, how do you spend your retirement now? Are you? Trying to walk. Oh yeah, okay. I I had a year ago, uh, December. My wife and I both got COVID. Oh no! And uh, I had two massive uh, blood clots in my lungs. Oh! And I had to get those eradicated. And uh, then I got a a thing called Guillain-Barré syndrome. Look that up, Guillain-Barré syndrome. You know what? And Actually I was I was paralyzed from my waist down. Right, right. Actually, you know what? I think I do know that. You, I, I work for Catholic Charities, and I used to at one time, I, I managed a uh, senior shopper program, and I think one of my clients, that's what they, they had. Yeah. That's, uh, that's very odd. I mean, it doesn't, I mean, the percentage of people that get that is. Well, then after I had that, I, 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 uh, Contracted uh, bladder cancer. Oh man! And uh, in fact, today I just had uh, a chemotherapy treatment. Uh, but uh, I go to physical therapy three times a week, 
okay. trying to learn to walk. I I could walk with a walker, but I can't walk. I, I could walk by myself on my own, but I mean, I like wobble and all that. Right. But I'll get it done. I'll get oh, it I know you would, because you're a you're a determined, tenacious individual, right? <laughs> well, I want to play golf again. I, I well, want to play golf with my wife. That's a motivator. That's a motivation there, right? And the last thing I want to ask you about, and I want to compliment you on, I saw, I watched the video for rubbing elbows with Tommy John. That was, yeah. that is excellent, Tom. You must have had some help, uh, help with that, but I mean, they, the graphics and the, it's just a really great job. Now, they did a good job putting that together. Actually, that was my wife and, and, a couple of her friends in oh. the business. Wow. Well, my compliments goes to your wife and, and to your wife's friends. They did an excellent yeah. job. Definitely an excellent job. Well, Tommy, I'm going to let you go, but I want to tell you how much it, it was a thrill to be able to talk with you. And I hope uh, I hope I wasn't too intrusive, you know, with uh, any question. And, uh, That's what That's yeah. you like. Okay. Well, you have a great day, okay? Okay, thanks for calling. Thank you. The phrase, the apple doesn't fall far from the tree, is meant to indicate how children's qualities and talents are similar to their parents. So to honor my dad and his influence on me concerning baseball, I named this podcast, The Baseball Doesn't Fall Far From The Tree, in his honor. If you have any questions about today's program, you can contact us via email at rvhurte at gmail.com. And if you're interested in our new book, Intelligent Influence in Baseball, you can also send us an email and we will let you know how you can order it. In the immortal words of the famous baseball journalist, Red Smith, Baseball is a dull game only for those with dull minds.